When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, warm-up for Lilo. Welcome to Wobby Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops-Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and... It is a tremendous day as college basketballs return to our lives. It is oh so glorious. We're going to give you guys a little bit of a recap of what we saw in college basketball Monday here at the top. I will be honest with you, I do have to record this a little bit before all these games wrap up because you also get the Greg Peterson experience on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. That is from midnight to 3 Eastern Time, 9 to midnight Pacific. So when I open up this show, I'll be recapping a lot of the results there as well. And typically when it comes to the late West Coast games, I'm not able to recap today. I will do that on the podcast tomorrow as well. So if anything, earth shattering does happen. If I notice anything from those late games, I will clean that up on the podcast tomorrow before the teams that played in that game play next. So that is going to be all taken care of for you guys and taking care of us in segment number two is Jim Root. He does tremendous work over at the three-man weave. We're just going to be talking a little bit of shop with him, how he handles betting in the non-conference portion of the season, when to and when to not make adjustments on some of these teams as well. It's one of the toughest things for any handicapper. I can tell you right now, I struggle with it. I'm sure that I'm speaking to a lot of people that when it comes to having expectations versus reality, it is a case where sometimes it is a little bit difficult to do. I mean, that extends past college basketball. That extends to life in general. But that's said, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about a few teams that he felt a little bit more bullish slash bearish on just coming into the season. Some of those late things that might have caused him to either be a little bit more bullish or bearish on a team as well. And also talk a little bit about whether or not you should use trends with regards to some of your handicapping when it comes to non-conference play. And on top of that, if you do use trends, how you should use them rather than having them be an end-all be-all, using them as a little bit more of a guide. So we're going to be talking about that in segment number two. In the final segment, not quite as expansive of a board as we had on Monday, to say the least, and we won't be having as expansive of a board as we had on Monday, really until conference play in those big, giant Saturdays. But we still have a solid slate of college basketball for Tuesday. I'm going to get you guys picks and analysis on every one of those D1 versus D1 games as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letter ZM, naming does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, that is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. 
I know I did have a question or two with regards to the podcast upload time, and it remains consistent all throughout the season. You'll be getting Coast to Coast Hoops at midnight Pacific, 3 o'clock a.m. Eastern. Sometimes it, with the scheduling, it might be like five minutes before or five minutes later. I try to time it as good as possible because I always set the scheduled release time for midnight Pacific, 3 o'clock a.m. Eastern. Sometimes it just loads in there a little bit early, a little bit late, but right around that time. So for those of you guys out there on the East Coast sleeping, driving into work, it'll be there for you in the early a.m. And on top of that, why there's no lines on games involving like Piedmont State and things like that. And that's just because the Las Vegas betting board only recognizes Division I versus Division I games. Like we had 187 in total on Monday. So some of those games like with Mercer losing to Clark Atlanta, that was not a game that was up on the Vegas betting board because Clark Atlanta, not a Division I team. So I do want to be giving you guys fixing analysis on all these games. It makes no sense to give you guys picks and analysis on games that we cannot make money on, so I limit it to the games that we can make money on and uh, lessens the workload a little bit on myself as well. But that said, we've done all the formalities. Let's take a look back at everything that we did get on opening night Monday, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. Now, with regards to some of the more trends, how we saw favorite slash underdogs to do. I'll have more concrete numbers tomorrow because I am doing this as some of the late games are still going on, so there are still some things hanging in the balance. Just by my bird's eye, though, felt like a lot of favorites were really able to pound the teams that they were playing into oblivion, and they were really able to take it to them, like with Purdue being able to just completely slobber knock Samford by kind of 98 to 45. Purdue looked very good in this game, going 16 of 29 from three-point range. Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, 12 points apiece. Zach Eady, 16 points, 11 rebounds in 20 minutes of action. They did not need him out there very long. You saw a lot of the understudies be able to get minutes for Purdue. They were able to just absolutely hand it to a Sanford team that I actually think is going to be good out there in the SoCon. Just a horrible matchup. We were wondering what we would get night number one out of Donovan Klingon for UConn and for Donovan Klingon. Didn't play a ton of minutes, but was effective when he was out there. 12 points, 8 boards, 3 blocks. A easy win and cover for UConn by kind of 95 to 52. And in case we're wondering, Purdue, yes, they did cover the spread of that one. I've not seen Purdue have to lay north of 45 points ever. But for UConn, they were laying about 26 half in this one. Just looked very impressive in all facets against Northern Arizona. So they got that done very easily. Tennessee got it done very easily against Tennessee Tech. 80 to 42 as, I mean, we have seen this from Tennessee quite a bit in the past where they just hold these teams to like 40, 45 points. They once again looked very good with regards to their defense. Now, if you're looking at something bad, I mentioned one of them. Clark Atlanta, a non-Division One university. I will say, a fine non-Division One university, but if you're a D1 team and you lose a non-D1 team, that is the epitome of brutality. For Mercer, they lost by a count of 71 to 64. It's a Mercer team that I had my question marks with coming into the season. They went 7 of 30 from 3 par range. It's not even like Clark Atlanta lit the world on fire. They went 5 of 16 from 3 par range. They actually lost the turnover battle by 1, but really bad signs for Mercer when they're losing the battle on the glass to Clark Atlanta. So... That was a little bit less than savory there. Another interesting result was Princeton being able to take down Rutgers by kind of 68 to 61. Now, I don't think that this was a terrible loss for Rutgers. Keep in mind, they lost to a team that made the Sweet 16 last season. And for Princeton, they did lose 
two other top three scorers, including Tosan of Wildman. I always say that name wrong, but you know what? With Princeton, they still have a nice three-point shooting touch. They had Xavier Lee be able to go three of six from three-point range, coupled with that Blake Peters was able to go bombs away from the outside as well. And for Rutgers, Cliff Amarui, he was able to give the team 12.7 rebounds, four blocks, but you probably needed a little bit more out of him. And you can tell that with Rutgers, not having Caleb McConnell and company out there, that defense being able to close out on that three-point arc, that hurt them a little bit. Also, do keep in mind, this was not played at the rack. This was played at Cure Insurance Arena, one of the few neutral court games that we did see on Monday. Our DK Network write-up picks, they made a statement on Monday, which that makes me feel very good. Wrote up Oregon laying the points and UMBC on the spread as well. Oregon, they win. They cover against Georgia 82-71. to And a takeaway that I did have from opening night, this game was very much at the forefront of what I was talking about. Lots and lots of fouls called night number one. It's something that I personally am going to need to probably shade up my toes on just a scourge if we continue to see this as this game involved 49 total fouls. And Folly Dante, by the way, 16 points, 21 rebounds, two steals, and a partridge and a pear tree. That was pretty amazing to say the least. But for Oregon, they did a nice job holding down Georgia. Georgia only shot about 34% from the floor. It was interesting the way that they were running their rotations as they had Jameer Abdul-Rahim be able to put in there 18 points, but you tell that Georgia was just a little bit out of sorts, and for Georgia, they lost the battle on the glass 63-41, to 41. so that was a little bit less than terrific, and for Louisville, they escaped with their lives against mighty UMBC 94-93 to 93 is the final. UMBC opened up as a double-figure underdog, closed at 7.5, so if you took that network pick early or late, you got there on all fronts with both of them, so always feel good when we're able to cover all numbers as well. You don't want to have people listen in late and get caught in the dark and everything like that, but you know what? For Louisville, they did have Mikey James go off for 25 points, 10 rebounds, and very much more of an offense-oriented approach with Louisville. With defense, they did not play any of it as Deion Brown put in their 28 points for UMBC. UMBC does go 11 of 21 from three-point range, and UMBC wins this game outright if they don't go 12 of 22 from the free-throw line now. Louisville as well went 24 of 39 at the charity stripe. Once again, lots of fouls called in this game. That is something that I'm going to be factoring in a little bit more. I do think that free-throw shooting should be at the forefront of what we are really making adjustments on for this upcoming college basketball season with what I saw night number one, but that certainly was a little bit of a takeaway. If you're looking for a nice underdog that was able to cash for you, McNeese State as in a lot of places a double-figure underdog. They get it done all right against VCU by kind of 76 to 65. VCU is without Sean Bearstow, one of their big-time transfers via the transfer portal. And for Mr. Ryan Odom, who took over VCU, he was able to do a good job of having Utah State shoot it well from three. The only shot VCU did, 11-36 from three. Max Scholga went 6-10 of 10 from distance. That means that everyone else went a combined 5-26 of 26 as Scholga put in there, 22 points. Meanwhile, for McNeese, they only turned the ball over five times. Will Wade currently dealing with a little bit of a suspension from everything that happened over at LSU, but... 
He's done a nice job being able to assemble his team. Shahada Wells, 23 points. Christian Schulmate, a double-double. McNeese, a team that I picked in the preseason to win the Southland. Right now looking pretty darn good. Liked what I saw of Wichita State as well. 76-59. They get a win and a cover against Lipscomb. It's a new-look team with Paul Mills taking over at the helm. And you got Kobe Rogers to be able to go off for 20 points. And the big thing for Wichita State, they completely decimated Lipscomb on the glass. 51-33. to The Transfer of power from Hassan Asadullah and all that he was able to do for Lipscomb. Looks like it's going to take a little bit of a while. So that is something that I'm going to be mindful of. And then in terms of a more harebrained final and one that I do feel a little bit more sock up about this team, Pittsburgh, they put up a hundo against North Carolina AT. Now, North Carolina AT, another coaching change in the offseason. It's probably going to be another rough year for them on the CAA. But for Pittsburgh, they go 12 of 29 from three-point range. You had a triple-double, by the way. Out of Carlton Carrington, six foot five freshman that went a little bit under the radar, 18 points, 12 boards, 10 assists. As I'm doing this podcast, I don't think that there was anyone else that had a triple-double. I might be mistaken on that, so big performance there. Ohio State, they're a team that coming into the year, I was feeling a little bit more bullish about them, and they got a scare from Oakland, 79-73, to and for Oakland, this is a team that can be one that booms and one that busts. And Rocket Watts, talk about a bust. He had zero points in this one. And if he was more useful than a poopy-flavored lollipop, Oakland might actually win this game outright. But he did have Trey Townsend. Be able to chip in there, 17 points. Team goes 14-35 from three ball. Ohio State, 7-25 of 25 from three. And does call into question what we are going to be able to get out of Ohio State this season after we recall two seasons ago. It was very much less than savory for them. They lose Oral Roberts in the NCAA tournament. Last year, the bottom completely falls out on them. So certainly going to be taking notes there on an Ohio State team that has been all over the place the last few years in general. I'm doing this as Duke versus Dartmouth is just getting going right now. That's been a little bit of a lower scoring game as just from my bird's eye view, we still have quite a few games to be played, but felt like a lot of overs night number one, which we do notice more overs in my opinion when it comes to the early part of the season rather than when you do get to conference play, the unfamiliarity. I do think cause is for defenses to be thrown a little bit more for a loop. I feel like guys play a little bit more freely in non-conference play as well, and this is one of those games that's currently trending under. I could be very much wrong on this, but right now as I do this podcast, James Madison up 29-24 late in the first half against Michigan State. Michigan State of eight from three-point range, and Mandy Sissoko picked up three fouls early on in this one. James Madison has just been taking it to this Michigan State team, so right now that is looking very much less than savory. What is looking good is Iowa State, as I record this, they're up 71-29 to with about 10 minutes remaining against UW Green Bay. Unless we see something very strange, Iowa State is going to be able to win and cover. And for Iowa State, one of the top teams in all of college basketball in terms of defense last season. And perhaps they have found that three-point shooting pop that they needed a little bit more of last season. Millen... I am going to say this last name incorrectly, even though he comes in from good old Wisconsin. Mamo Silovich, he was able to go as I was recording this. Six of seven from three-point range, 18 points. He figures to be one of the biggest impact freshmen in all of college basketball. And I do think that Sundance Wicks is going to be able to get things turned around over at UW-Green Bay. Might be a little bit of a work in progress, but I do think that he's going to be able to do some good work. Might be a little bit of an uphill battle there. And I'll see you. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise, as I record this. They are currently up by 47 points against... Mississippi Valley State, so 
Once again, Mississippi Valley State not looking like they are going to be in for a great year, so you can always bank on that, and I feel like we can bank on Houston being able to cover some big numbers as I record this. 20 minutes have passed in their game against Louisiana Monroe, and they're up 53-22. to This Houston team just year in and year out. They take you to the woodshed. They do an amazing job of just playing some tough, gritty defense, and we should be seeing that from them once again this season, and it's looking like Kansas because I've let off at the top talking about teams that they were just able to boat race their opponents. We've got a few minutes left in this one, but currently they're up on North Carolina at Central by kind of 83 to 32, and NC Central has actually pulled off some upsets in past years. They've been a little bit of a tough and scrappy team out there in the MEAC. They did lose a lot from last year, so not necessarily your father's NC Central team, but very good debut for so many of these guys on Kansas. You had Dewan Harris not score a single point, but told out 10 assists. Hunter Dickinson, 19 points, 8 boards, 5 assists. He was able to go 3 of 3 from 3-point range. You were able to get out there one of your star freshmen and Johnny Furphy, who I believe that he's been dealing with some shin splints. So just all in all, a very good showing for Kansas. And you have to be feeling very good about them coming into the season. And when it comes to feeling good about teams as well, you do have to like what you saw as well from the Wisconsin offense as I record this. They have already pretty much had their game go over the total, even though there's 12 minutes remaining in the second half. At the end of the first half against Arkansas State, it was 56 of 41, despite the fact that Wisconsin did not make a single three-pointer in the first half. They are currently shooting, as I record, the 64.5% from the floor, and it's really been a balanced attack for the team. Chucky Eppern has led the way with 15 points, but for Wisconsin, they hit the transfer portal. They brought in A.J. Storr. He's been able to give the team 13 points. You've gotten quite a bit down low out of Stephen Crawl, Tyler Wall, and for Arkansas State, it's very clear they are looking to play much, much more up-tempo this year with Brian Hodgins taking over. He was one of the assistants over at Alabama after a season ago. This was a team that was very much more pedestrian, very much more slow, so that is something that I'm going to be putting in my ledger and putting in my notes as I took that game under, and well, that under did not hit, and this was something that hit as well. If you laid the points with Villanova, they were able to get the job done against American doing this as the final 30 seconds are winding down, and Villanova's up by kind of 90-63 to 63 for Villanova. Good debuts for a lot of the guys that did come into the program. TJ Bomba was able to put in their 13 points. Tyler Burton, 15 points, 7 rebounds. And what you really like to see from Villanova, just 7 turnovers in this game as well. They were a team that, coming into the season, I was feeling quite bullish on. We saw what they did when Justin Moore was actually available in the fold last season. And I do think that they're going to be able to elevate off of that this season as well. And for American, their team I think is going to be halfway decent out there in the Patriot League as well. They just ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw in this one. So we've got a few games I'm going to be polishing up on the podcast tomorrow. Also do want to point out that Providence, they win 78-59 to against Columbia. This was a little bit dependent upon your closing number, and you're going to have quite a few of these games that are going to be a bit more dependent upon your closing numbers. Didn't see a lot of bad beats from the early portion of the schedule. If we do get some bad beats, I will certainly be recapping those on the podcast as well. I do beer reviews, so I'll pour one out for you, but I know that this was a Providence versus Columbia game where I felt like 50% of the market was at 18.5, 58% was at 19, so you do want to be always trying to be able to get the best of the number. 
as Providence was covering for much of the game, and I know that Columbia was able to make a little bit of a charge shorts back half of the game to be able to try to get within the number. And in terms of these recaps as well, for those that remember last year and remember my baseball podcast, I will be taking a look at what we're seeing in terms of overs and unders once the data is actually in the system. Like I said, I'm doing this while a lot of these games are going on for Monday, so we are unsure what the over slash under ledger is, what percent of favorites we're able to cover, what percentage of underdogs we're able to win outright things like that, but I will be doing that on the podcast moving forward starting tomorrow as well as that hard data comes in. And a man that's got some cold hard facts, a man that knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to betting college basketball, that is Jim Root. He does amazing work over at the three-man weave. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with him about just gauging some of these teams towards the early part of the season, how he approaches betting on non-conference games, why sometimes you want to be a little bit more hesitant in games with big spreads, taking a look at utilizing betting trends when it comes to non-conference play, and so much more. Nice wide-ranging chat with Jim coming up next right here on Coast Kissy with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. This show slash podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp and over at BetterHelp, they're helping you try to be able to ease up on your life a little bit more because I'm sure that you, much like myself, wish you had a little bit more time on your hands, whether that be to pursue a hobby. I myself could use a little bit of sleep as I've been handicapping about like 300 games a week and you're not able to get a lot of sleep when you're working that much, so hopefully you appreciate it on this podcast. But that said, Therapy can be exactly what you need to be able to get a little bit more time on your hands to pursue exactly what you love. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Coast today. That's C-O-A-S-T to be able to get 10% off through your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Coast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. <laughs> sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, They want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. With myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is always great to be joined by this man, Jim Root, does terrific work over at the Three Man Weave, which you're both all at the number 3MW underscore CBB. Also doing great work with Field of 68 Action Network, much like myself, a man from the great state of Wisconsin, and his Twitter slash X feed is Second Chance Points. That is the number 2ND Chance Points all together. Jim, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Yep, pleasure to be here, Greg. I appreciate you having me. As we get right into the games here, man, it's time. It's actually time to get down to it, handicap some hoops, watch some games, and hopefully win a few bets. That's the goal, if we can do it. Yep, you and I have been preparing for this since April. The games they just got going on Monday, so obviously now is a good time to be able to strike. And how does your handicapping, just out of curiosity, vary from right now, the very beginning part of the season, as opposed to, say, conference playing like January and February, because I do think that what's unique about college basketball is that you do have to handicap these non-conference games, in my opinion, a little bit differently than conference games, because obviously we have less data at our disposal. Yeah, and, and some part of me loves the the fact that there's less data. I believe that I've researched more than whoever's making the lines at the sports book, and and you know whether that's true or not, I like to at least believe it. it makes me feel good inside. And I think a big difference is too is just kind of the types of games we see. There's a lot of buy games this part of the year, a lot of bigger spreads. I think that those can be a little more difficult to handicap, or at least you know drill down on and get a true outcome because there is a lot of garbage time often in those games where the actual number may be a little shaky based on 
which team plays their backups earlier and, and whether a team presses with their starters late. I've seen underdogs and favorites do that in some big spread games that have skewed the outcome. So those get a little tricky. You get a lot less of that. Come conference play, a lot more equal lines. So I do try to target the games that are closer to teams that are equal to each other. You know, if I can get a, a lot of pick'em games or minus one, minus two, minus three, where it feels like the outcome is more true to the nature of the teams. I just have in the past have had a little bit of trouble with some of those larger spreads and ending up on you know the wrong side of variance with them. I do try to aim towards those games that are closer to teams that are equally matched. And every single year we see some of those games where it's like Lindenwood catching 27 to 28 against Missouri was a popular one from last year. And that was one that I was on the wrong side of. Those our games are a little bit tricky. And I typically am not a trends player with college basketball because as we know, you're in and you're out. These rosters vary quite a bit. What you saw the previous year, you might not be getting the next year with the transfer portal, one-and-done players. But I do think the one time that we can use trends is on some of these coaches that do slash do not cover these big numbers. Like I was mentioning it for Monday, Houston. Them laying a big number against Louisiana Monroe is something I felt a little bit better about because I take a look at the track record of Calvin Sampson, and he's actually had a lot of success being able to cover these big numbers, whereas there are some coaches like Coach K back in the day, he would always play his backups those final few minutes in like those 25 to 30 point spread games. Is that something you might be willing to take a look at? Because I personally don't use a lot of trends in college basketball, but I feel like this is one of the few times where if you have a coach that has been around for quite a while, you can use a little bit of that data. Yeah, definitely. There's certain coaches like the splits matter where a certain coach is better as an underdog or as a favorite. I think those are really worth looking at. You know, I think Harvard is the number one example of that where they're much better as an underdog. And to your point, you know, Calvin Sampson in Houston, the biggest one for me in terms of a coach that loves to cover big spreads is actually Iowa. Maybe people are going to remember them losing at home outright to Eastern Illinois as like 31 point <laughs> favorites last year. But I do, and I don't have the exact data in front of me. I apologize to, to the listeners, but Fran McCaffrey is something like a 70% bet when they're a 15, 20-point home favorite. That offense is just thermonuclear. They do not stop in the second half. They put up triple digits. They're a good bet for the over, too. So they've got North Dakota Tuesday, Alabama State Friday. Those are two games I'm definitely going to be looking at the Hawkeyes because they've just shown over and over again that they love to smash those lesser teams, that the offense is good enough, and they love to get up and down. That is another one, too, for totals. Certain coaches play really fast early in the year. Let their boys run. I think Mick Cronin's a good example of that, a guy that's known for playing in the half court and grinding it out. He actually, you know, first week or two of the season typically does let his guys get up and down and figure things out a little bit before he starts to micromanage and and tweak things and get it down into his more half court style. So to your point, it is very useful to find specific coaches and find specific situations. Friends are useless if you can't give them a reason why, but if you can, like McCaffrey loving to win big, I think there's actually a value to them because you can give a reason to it and it makes sense and it adds up. And and that's kind of the thing where you can zero in on it and start to bet it. And I got you a specific number on that Iowa trend, by the way. Since the beginning of the 2019-20 season, Iowa 16-4 and four against the spread as a favorite of at least 18 points. That is a big, giant trend right there. <laughs> so pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. To your point, that is one to really be watching out for. As you mentioned, there was that one outright loss to Eastern Illinois. But you know what? Sans that, it's pretty solid. And I do think that because of that, because of the recency bias, that might actually provide a little bit of value for that Iowa game on Tuesday. As Jim Root of the three-man weave is joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops. And 
I do think that that's part of this early season that we can take advantage of as well, because certainly we're going to take a look at these final four teams from last year, like Florida Atlantic is going to be playing against Loyola Chicago. Miami's going to have some early season games. They played against NJIT on Monday. List goes on and on. And here we'll backslash fade these teams. But I do think that recency bias with these teams in the NCAA tournament that either flamed out earlier than expected or made a deeper run than expected. In the case of Iowa losing outright to Eastern Illinois, you go down the list. I think that that's something that we could utilize to our advantage in the early part of the season, just that read to see bias as well. Late season results, especially the tournament, always seem to color. I mean, you look at some of the biggest differences is between computer rankings and human rankings, and it's pretty much all teams that either went really far in the NCAA tournament, i.e. Miami, Florida, who's outside the top 40 in like every single computer ranking you can find and is in the top 15 of like every human ranking or teams that flamed out early where you know, Purdue, they lost early and they're still getting some respect. You know, they're top five in basically all polls, but there's generally a skepticism about them from the public because of losing early in the tournament. And that always, I think, creates opportunity because people love to react to it. Now, betting markets are a little smarter than that. It's not like necessarily going to give you five points of edge because of it. But if you can kind of catch some of the lines moving the wrong way or you just see people over indexing on some of those postseason results, yeah, potentially there is some real value if you can time the market correctly on those movements. Yep, I think that that is going to be so critical as well. And what else I think is going to be critical for this upcoming season as well is when to slash when not to make adjustments. And that is something that there is no exact science on. Let's call it what it is. Because everyone, we have our priors coming into the season. There are some times where if you drop a game or two, you know what, it was like a little bit of bad luck. There are other times where you were just said wrong. How do you handle this? Because there's going to be a lot of instances where you're going to be right, Jim. There's no question about it. You did amazing work over there at the Almanac. But I always think that it is very difficult to gauge like a team or two that maybe they don't cover what you think they're going to in the early part of the season. And how to adjust from that, I always think is one of the most difficult things to do as a handicapper. Oh, 100%. Like you said, I will get some games wrong and I will get some adjustments wrong for sure as we go throughout the year. That's the beauty of having 362 teams. Hopefully you can get more than half of them right and end up okay there. But yeah, when I do whiff early on, try to dig in to figure out the reason why. Uh, You know, if I laid 10 with a team and they lost outright, is it because the other team made 16 of 28 threes? And I can kind of say, ah, maybe that was a little more shooting variance than anything. Or did they get, you know, my 10 point favorite, did they get out rebounded and outscored in the paint and generally just outclassed by a team that was perceived as a double digit underdog? Then I'm going to adjust that team down. And the other trick too is figuring out which team to adjust, you know, especially when you only got one or two games of evidence. You know, was I wrong about the team I laid 10 with? Were they just not as good? Or was I too low on the underdog and really I should be bumping them up. So trying to you know be patient and get a few results in before I make too many drastic changes, I think is a big part of this. But yeah, I mean, you've got to be humble and, and willing to admit, wow, I had this team way overvalued or, or this team way undervalued, especially after months of arguing with people on Twitter and digging in and, and you know trying to say, I'm going to be right about this team. If you're better and you're too stubborn to, to admit you're wrong, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So if I can figure out that it seems like a team was just overvalued or undervalued in my ratings, I'm going to want to move off it. So it does come down to the scores and and why I was wrong about those teams when I'm about to make an adjustment or not. 
It's such a difficult thing. I am going to get my fair share wrong as well. With 362 D1 teams, there's if I get all 362 right, I will just walk away on top. I will never have to do this again in my life. I guarantee you that will not be happening. So there are certainly going to be some adjustments to be made. And I do think that that's one of the toughest things that we are going to be encountering during the season as Jim Rudu does amazing work over at the Three Main Weave. is joining me right here on Coast to Coast. And Jim, we're doing this before we know the results of Monday. So perhaps we'll look very good or very bad on a few of these. But just want to get your thoughts here because you've done a great job researching all offseason long. But was there maybe a team or two that about a week or two coming into the season, you had a little bit of a change of heart on whether you were a little bit more stock up or stock down on them coming into the season? Because as we know, when... Things got down to the nitty-gritty those final few days. We were still getting a lot of news in terms of eligibility, in terms of injuries, what have you. But was there a team or two that just coming into the season, those last few days coming in, you felt a little bit differently about? Yeah, I think one I've gotten higher on is Arkansas. I think you know Musselman's had a lot of ups and downs during his years within the season, I mean. Like where they'll start hot and then December and January they'll fade and then come back up in, in February and be awesome come March. I think they're going to be a little more consistent than they have in the past. It's, a, it's an older team. They had a lot of freshmen last year that really couldn't shoot. And I think that led to some erratic outcomes. I'm higher on Arkansas. And then there's a couple, you know, like you mentioned with the waiver decisions coming into the year, I had genuinely forgotten that Daniel Bacho was a two-time transfer at, at Louisiana Tech because he never actually played at Arizona. He redshirted there and then transferred to Texas Tech. And now is a two-time transfer at Louisiana Tech. So that was a team I was high on to potentially win CUSA in their Talvin Hester's second year. But if Bacho's not going to get his waiver, definitely started to get a little more pessimistic about them. California kind of fits in that same one. Jalen Tyson got his waiver denied. I know they're appealing and, and maybe even threatening a lawsuit there for Tyson's waiver. But yeah, I mean, as some of these decisions come out, was hoping or counting on the guys to be there. But as they're not going to, I have to you know, openly acknowledge that it's probably not going to work out. And then even somebody like, this is mean and bullying, and I feel like kicking a, a horse while it's down here, but Louisville, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt and raising them from where they were last year by quite a bit, honestly. But that loss to Kentucky Wesleyan and watching it, it just kind of played out the exact same way things did last year. They took really bad shots offensively. They kind of lost focus sometimes defensively, and they were horrible on the glass against a team that was smaller and less athletic than them. So that was one, like I mentioned, with those scores. It wasn't because Kentucky Wesleyan got hot and made threes. They just outscored Louisville in the paint. They out-rebounded them. I actually knocked Louisville a little bit, you know, down closer to where they were last year. Not quite as bad, but down there, and it's certainly a team I have circled to fade early on in the season. And I still can't forget Kenny Payne after that Kentucky Wesleyan loss saying that, oh, he needed two more rebounds out of Emmanuel Okafer, and Okafer did not play a single minute in the game. Like, that just shows complete incompetence right there. It's like, yeah, it's hard to get two more rebounds from a guy that you didn't put into the game. So I had to be a little bit more stocked down there. But I'm always stocked up on you, Jim. You do amazing work over at Three Man Weave. You're going to be doing a tremendous job all season long, along with our good friends, Ty and Matt. So let the good people at home know it's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, so if people have not yet, please buy the Almanac, our super comprehensive preseason publication, cbbalmanac.com. An interview with every coach, 1,300 words on every team. A lot of really good insights on there. I think you can find some good over and under nuggets if you're looking for the right things and can definitely give you an idea of who might be undervalued or overvalued by the market too. So I think for a gambler, it can be a really valuable resource. And then we are 3MW underscore CBB on Twitter. That's three-man weave. We will be tweeting all through the year. Might have some 
daily best bets that we'll put out from there and just general college basketball thoughts and discussions. So that and in our weekly podcast, Three Men Weave College Basketball Podcast, check out that as well. It comes out on Wednesdays. At least that's the, the tentative plan as we go forward in the season. But check that out as well. We appreciate anybody that's willing to go over and, and give us a listen. The trio of Jim, Kaya, and Matt, three of the best in the business. It's always great to get any of those three aboard. Today it was our good friend Jim, who hails from the great state of Wisconsin, much like myself. Always great to get him aboard. Big thanks to Jim for joining me on Coast to Coast Soup Style, part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my game. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. 
Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my dance, <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my dance, <laughs> And we're back in Wolfie Las Vegas for Cuts and Cuts with myself, Greg Oops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Jim Root aboard. He does amazing work over at the Three Man Weave. Really, all three of those gentlemen over at the Three Man Weave, Jim, Kai, and Matt. They do an absolutely amazing job taking a look at this game that we all know and love. Felt like there were some really good tidbits and some really good advice there from Jim. If you're having a little bit of a tough time getting started to begin this college basketball season, look, looking for ways to be able to attack the board, some nice angles. So it was great to be able to get Jim aboard. Big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board 
bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNN underscore 81. One little other side note as well. Only games that make the Las Vegas betting board, they are the D1 versus D1 games. So you'll notice something like, for example, Oakland City versus Appalachian State will not be on there because Oakland City, not a Division One team. Oakwood versus Kennesaw State. Oakwood, not a Division One team. You get the drift from there. So do want to make that known. And let's get things started with this first game. It is number 605, 606 on the betting board. LaSalle is going to be playing us to Drexel. Drexel is between a one and a half to a two point favorite. And your total setting between 135 and a half and 136 and a half. True home game for LaSalle, but they are the underdog. And I agree with this. I said Drexel is a three point favorite. I think that Drexel going to be able to win the battle down low because they've got Mr. Do-It-All in Amari Williams. Williams, Last season, 13.5 points, 8.5 boards. Sable pop threes doesn't necessarily do so in the world's greatest fashion, but he makes up for it by being able to generate for the team nearly a seal and a half north of two blocks per contest. I just don't know how LaSalle is going to be able to bust through. Last year, LaSalle had the Drame brothers. The Drame brothers, they are now both out of the fold, so that doesn't help. They're over at Duquesne, so they are going to be having to rely quite a bit more on their backcourt. Amar Gill is a pretty solid player. He was able to give LaSalle last year right around 8 points, 2.5 assists per contest. And I did like the way that Deshaun Shepard was able to step up thirds back half of last season overall for the year. Average about 6 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. But he was averaging 7 plus boards in the conference tournament last season. So, and 6'5", he's a guy that could step up for the team a little bit. Along with the duo of Khalil Brantley and Jabari Brickus. These are two guys that were able to combine for about 24.5 points per contest. Brickus shot about 38% from 3. Brantley steal and a half, four assists per contest, but this team is just not going to be able to match up down low. They do not return a single player that average at least five rebounds per game, and for Drexel, it's not like they've got an amazing backcourt. This is one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball, but they did deal with some injuries last season, so being able to get a clean bill of health for a lot of these guys, like a Luke House, I think is going to be very big. House last season was able to log about eight and a half points per contest, shot 38% from three-point range. He also returned some like a Yami Butler who is able to do a good job towards back out of the season and the uh, under the radar transfer of Lucas Monroe comes over from Penn about 5.6 boards two assists per contest he's that sort of fulcrum player that is not going to demand too much of the ball but can really help out Justin Moore in the backcourt and I feel like should be able to make Drexel pretty formidable this season as a result I did set Drexel as a three-point favorite Drexel was in the bottom 40 last year in terms of total possessions per game a top 50 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis as well so I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a low scoring slog won't lay up to two and a half in this spot. Also set my total at a 131, so diving under to go along with Drexel laying up to 2.5. 607, 608 on the betting board. Mount St. Mary's is on the road facing up against Maryland. Maryland is between a 21.5 to a 22-point favorite. Your total is 132, and I did set Maryland as 22.5-point favorites at the 21.5 slash 22. Not really Jones in to lay much more here, but I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Mount St. Mary's. They lose a lot of the good rebounding that was able to lead them to the NCAA tournament two seasons ago. They lose so much of the guys that were so successful in that backcourt as well. Jalen Benjamin was able to supply north of 15 points per contest. 
where they go from here in terms of ball handling. That is a little bit of a roll of the dice for the team as now they're going to have to rely upon Xavier Lipscomb with him out of the fold. Lipscomb on season shot 46% for three, but only was able to put in their four points per contest. You've got George Tinsley who at 6'6", has some good versatility, but they are unsure if Terrell Art Jr. is going to be able to get out there on the floor during the season. He's a little bit of a transfer. They are having some high expectations for Malcolm Dredd, but Malcolm Dredd could really not get out there on the floor for Richmond last season, so it's up to really to Dakota LaFew, average 13 points per contest, shot 38% from three to really elevate a backcourt that doesn't have that main trigger bay. Meanwhile, for Maryland, while they do lose a few pieces from last year, like Akeem Art, they bring back their top scorer in Jameer Young, who just does it all out there on the floor. 16 points, four and a half boards, three assists. Absolutely love the way they stepped up from Charlotte. Now, with Maryland, a little bit of a suspect three-point shooting team. Last year, they shot as collective about 33% from three-point range, and one of their top three-point shooters in Ian Martinez is now on the full, but Dante Scott is able to supply six rebounds per contest. Julian Reese is able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game. With Mount St. Mary's, typically they're a good rebounding team, but now with those guys moving on and being out of the fold and having questions with Art Jr. coming over from Presbyterian, that really puts things into flux for this team. And Maryland, I thought, did a very good job of bringing in some nice pieces via just the class of 2023 in terms of freshmen. I do think that Jamie Kaiser Jr. at six foot six is someone that you want to take note of. Deshaun Harris-Smith and so many of these other freshmen like Amadi Traore, I think that they're going to be able to make an instant impact for this team. And then you're able to pair them up with someone like a Jordan Geronimo. He comes in from Indiana. He's always been a relatively solid outside shooter last year. Was a little bit out of sorts, but I also think that Noah Batchelor could be able to take a few strides forward after he didn't see a lot of playing time last season as well. Maryland's very deep. Mount St. Mary's really lacking a ball handler, and you've got two teams that are looking to play super duper slow. I see where they're coming from on the slow total as I set mine even lower. 130.5 is where I set my total. Both of these teams outside the top 300 in terms of total position per game last season, and Maryland, I think he's going to be all bear down on defense. Looking at the under with Maryland, one way up to 22 with them. 609, 610 on the betting board. St. John's plays host to Stony Brook. The Seawolves are underdogs with between 18 to 18 and a half points. Totals between 142 and 142 and a half. St. John's is one of the most intriguing teams in all of college basketball. As they've got 100 million billion transfers, but I am going to be willing to trust in Slick Rick Patino. I set St. John's as a 20-point favorite. They're going up against the Stony Brook team that, quite frankly, I just don't think is going to be very good. Last year, Frankie Polacelli was their top scorer. He did a nice job doing it all for the team with 9.5 boards, 13.5 points per contest, shot 36% from three. Now he's out of the fold. You do have Tyler Stevenson more back, and he, two seasons ago, shot 45% from three and a higher usage role last season. And slipped all the way down to about 29.5% from distance. He is able to give out right around about 2.5 assists per contest, 14 points per game. So that is someplace nice to be able to start for this team. And then you do have Keenan Fitzmorris, who at 7 feet tall, he's able to pop threes. Doesn't necessarily do so well, but I just don't like his inconsistency. He just saw it all throughout the year last year. He would go from scoring like 16 points one night to two the next, and then he would score 20, and then he would score four. You just never knew what you were going to be able to get out of him day in and day out. And I do think that they're going to need to have a little bit more out of Toby Onakonwu, who last year, he was able to give the team seven and a half points per contest, shot in the mid-30s from three-point range, stepped up with some of the injuries, three assists per contest. But with St. John's, they should have a lot of the guys that were missing when they lost to that 
D2 Pace College in the exhibition game. Back at full drawer, Soriano should be good to go. Last year, 15 points, 12 rebounds per contest. He's really the lone holdover from last year's St. John's team. Slick Rick Pitino made it known that he wanted to build his team around Mr. Soriano, and he's brought in a lot of guys to be able to do so. Dennis Jenkins knows this offense. He played with Rick Pitino last season at Iona. Five assists, 15 and a half points per game. Shot 36% from three for a team that made the NCAA tournament. You've got to be expecting Chris Ludlum to be able to give you some good defense as well. Cruz Davis should be good to go, though I don't think he's going to be playing a ton of minutes because you've got Jordan Dingle as the top returning player in college basketball in terms of points per game. Last year, only Antoine Davis scored more points per game than he did, and for Jordan Dingle, what I really liked from him last year is that he really never bottomed out. He scored in double figures in every one of his games last season. I think that he had one game where he scored 12 points, and that was his season low. So Jordan Dingle doesn't really give you a whole bunch of clunkers. He is a high-usage guy, but... I do think that against a Stony Brook team that has some question marks, really doesn't have a lot of true big men, that St. John's should be able to cook down low. And I do think that Rick Pitino is going to be playing a little bit more of an up-tempo style as well. I did set my total at 146. Going to be looking at the over. And with St. John's, set them as a 20-point favorite, so we'll to lay up to 19.5 with them. 6-11, 6-12 is going to be the DK Network write-up pick. I was playing us in North Dakota. North Dakota is an underdog of between 18 and a half to 19 points. Your total is 152 to 153. Did set my total at a 153 and a half. Not really willing to go anything north of 153 over, but going to be willing to go with the over. My right up pick, this is going to surprise you. I typically stay away from the bigger spreads, but... I said Iowa is a 25 and a half point favor. We talked about this in the last segment with Jim Root. Iowa, since the beginning of the 2019-20 season, has a favorite of at least 18 points, 16 and 4 against the spread. It is a little bit of a changing of the guard. The Murrays are out the full. Keegan and Chris Murray have both now moved on, but they bring back a nice three on Patrick McCaffrey, Tony Perkins, Pete and Sam for these three guys. We have combined for about 32 and a half points per contest. And with Iowa, this is just a completely different team at home rather than on the road. At home last season, they scored at least 75 points in every single one of their games at Carver Hawkeye Arena. Meanwhile, on the road, they averaged 22.1 points fewer per one hour possessions than they did at home. They also, Iowa did, shot about 38.6% from three-point range at home. That compared to 28.1% on the road. And for North Dakota, you were expecting a little bit of upside with Tyree Ian Acho returning to the program. As a freshman, he averaged about 8.5 points, 5.5 boards, spent two years at James Madison. He had his waiver denied in late October, and he is not going to be able to play in this game. They bring back Sonsei Sarciste, who was able to give the team about 5 rebounds per game, but he is the only guy on the roster from last year that averaged about 3.8 rebounds per game or more. And for Iowa, they don't necessarily have ideal sides with the Murray brothers being out of the full, but they should be able to completely eat down low. You've got someone in B.J. Omat who's able to give you about 12 points per contest. And for North Dakota, they're not a bad three-point shooting team at about 35% from distance. But in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis on the road, 348th last year. This team is just absolutely brutal on defense. Recognize that Iowa is not really something to write home about with regards to their defense as well. But Javon Trent, who was so versatile for North Dakota last year, was their main facilitator. 2.4 assists, 6.5 points per contest with him moving on. North Dakota needs to find out who in the heck is going to be having the ball in his hands quite a bit. Perhaps that's going to be someone like an Eli King, who was at Iowa State last year, but could never really get out there on the floor for them. But lots of questions there. Iowa actually does return quite a few solid players, and I do think that for Iowa, 
with the way that this system is, they are going to see some year one to year two bumps for guys like Josh Dixon company. I like the fact as well that they bring in Ben Cricky from Valparaiso is able to average north of 19 points per contest. He should be able to really help out and give some versatility. My write-up pick is on Iowa. I trust in them being able to cover this big number. I was willing to lay up to 25 with them. And also set my total 153 and a half. So long it over and my write-up that is going to be laying the big number with Iowa. 613, 614 on the bang board. It is Northern Iowa on the road facing off against North Texas in the Battle of Norths. You've got North Texas as a four to four and a half point favorite total. Between 131 and 131 and a half. I set North Texas as a four-point favorite. Seeing the four and a half out there right now, and that was the opener, I'd be willing to take four and a half with Northern Iowa and not a half a point less. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slow, grimy game. With Northern Iowa, up until about two to three years ago, this was always one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. We have noticed that Ben Jacobson has sped up his system a little bit, and I think that Ben Jacobson is going to get back to happy because for Northern Iowa, ever since they have sped up, they haven't had any success whatsoever. I am not sure why they went away from what was going so well for them, but when it comes to this Northern Iowa team, they pretty much returned darn near all of their scoring from last year. They returned eight of their top nine scores from a year ago, including Bowen Board, who was able to chip in their 18 points, shot in the high 30s from three-point range. It's a Northern Iowa team that was a little bit in miss on the glass. They only have one guy that averaged more than 4.7 rebounds per game. That would be Titan Anderson, but I mean, he is back in the fold as well. And then you've got Michael Duox, who is very versatile and very solid last year as well. Four and a half boards, seven points per contest, and just it felt like got better as the season went along as he was able to do just things that help the team win in general. Not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooter, but he's able to go out there and step back, hit a couple triples. Meanwhile, for North Texas, this is a little bit of a regime change as Grant McCaslin is over at Texas Tech. They did keep things in-house, and that does mean that they are going to be returning a few pieces that made this team successful from last year, like a Reuben Jones, who logged about seven points per contest. I still think that this is going to be a slower team. I don't know if they're quite number one in the country in terms of fewest possessions per game, but Mule Sissoko has to replace Abdul Usman. We did see him get meaningful minutes in the NIT and in the NIT those final three games he was a complete animal. He had 30 rebounds in those final three games that he played in the NIT. That was against Oklahoma State, UAB, and Wisconsin. Not necessarily the world's greatest scorer, but also had four steals in those three games as well. He was able to supply 25 total points in those three games. I really think that he's going to be a nice back-to-the-basket big man. On top of that, you're bringing in a little bit of an upside guy in C.J. Nolan, who last year was over at Oklahoma, couldn't really get off the bench, but two seasons ago, shot about 43.5% from three-point range. Robert Allen is about 100 million billion years old. He was able to log about three and a half boards, four and a half points per game over at Ole Miss. I do think that North Texas has some nice crafty guys. They've got Aaron Scott, a six foot seven, a little bit of combo player to go along with Rondale Walker as well. I do question who's going to be the main ball handler for this team. That is a big question mark. Perhaps it's John Bucks at third, but that said, you've got two veteran laden teams. Two teams that are not really looking to push the tempo too much. So I did set this total at 128. I'm diving under. I'm Northern Iowa. At four and a half or more, I'm going to be willing to take the points. 615, 616 on the betting board. Baylor and Auburn do battle from the Sanford Pentagon. So neutral court game. Baylor's between a one and a half to a two point favorite. Total is 143. I made Auburn the one point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line. The big question was whether or not G&I Broom was going to be able to play in this game. He took a little bit of a spill in an exhibition matchup a week ago. He is going to be able to do so. And 
That is big because GNI Broom was cleaning up down low last year. 14 points, 8.5 boards, 2.5 blocks per contest. Absolutely love his game. For Auburn, the big thing for them was being able to up their three-point shooting. Last year, they were a bottom 40 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They addressed that by bringing in Denver Jones, who logged 20 points per game, shot 37% from three-point range. Couple with that, they also have Jalen Williams back at the fold, who has a mid-30s three-point shooter. And do not forget about Chad Baker-Mazzara. He, two seasons ago, was over at San Diego State. They will give them about 67 points per contest at the junior college level. Tore things up as a six foot seven, do it all sort of player. You pair that up with Trey Donaldson down low, and you're really looking at an engine that has some gas to burn. Meanwhile, for Baylor, this is a very new look backcourt. No longer do you have LJ Cryer to be able to bail you out for threes. Keontae George was such a good athletic guy in that backcourt as well at six foot five, six foot six. Was able to do a little bit of everything now. Good news is, Jalen Bridges, Mr. Do it all for this team. 10.5 points, 5 boards, a block, a steal per contest last season. He's back at the fold. 6'9, has good versatility and got to be expecting a little bit more of a bill of health for these guys down low. Caleb Lohner, Jonathan Jamachachua. I do expect quite a bit more from them. And I do think that the transition for Ray J. Dennis back up to the power conference level is going to be one that will be a little bit more seamless than a lot of people think. He began his career at Boise State. Not quite the power conference level, but a very, very good level of competition last year. He was able to tear it up at Toledo. 19.5 points, 5.8 assists. Shot in the mid-30s from three-point range. Will need to play better defense. Scott Drew is probably going to try to instill that in them, but you did see Baylor really lack a little bit on defense in general last year. Auburn was able to do a very solid job of being able to reject shots down low. Dylan Cardwell doesn't necessarily score a lot, but he's a good defensive big man, and I think that that's going to be a little bit too much for Baylor to overcome. I think that Auburn wins from within. I do think that this is going to be a relatively up-tempo game, even though Auburn did see their scoring drop a little bit last season. They're still a team that they like to play at a pretty brisk pace. You've got a Baylor team that as well, they do like to run and gun, and this is a environment in the same for Pentagon that it feels like shooters shoot very well from, for lack of a better term. So I'm going to be going with the over. I set my total at 147 and made Auburn the one-point favorite. So taking Auburn outright on the money line to go along with this 143 over. 617, 618 on the betting board. DePaul is playing us a Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is between a 12 to a 12 and a half point underdog. Totals between 143 and 143 and a half. You might see Fort Wayne as IPFW, by the way. Proper name is Fort Wayne, we'll call it when it is and just leave it there. But that said, with Paul, I did set them as 13 and a half point favorites. IPFW, a.k.a. Fort Wayne, lost a ton from last year, and I just don't know who's going to be able to replace all that scoring as I mean, Jared Goffrey, Bobby Plantis. These were two guys that were able to give you double figures, and both of those guys are not out of the fold. They're going to be looking for a little bit more of Jalen Jackson. He comes in from UIC last year, was able to log about 7.5 points per contest over with the Flames, so that's a nice piece for this team. Quentin Morton-Robinson, I think he's going to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. Last season really didn't do a lot of facilitating, but overall was able to shoot about 38% from three-point range, about seven points per contest, so I think that that is a little bit of an upside guy to be watching out for, along with Keon Miller. Keon Miller is a guy that comes in as freshman. A lot of people have been talking him up quite a bit, so I do think that he is someone that I'm going to be watching out for, along with Rasheed Bellow. Bellow is someone that comes in from UW-Parkside, where he just absolutely tore it up, so... There are some non-D1 transfers that have some upside for Fort Wayne, but all sorts of guys lost from a season ago, and they just aren't going to be able to compete with the size down low that you have for DePaul. Bank ATN never really found its footing over at UCLA, but 
and 6 foot 10 he should be able to dominate down low really like the game of Deshaun Nelson as well overall for the season last year 10 points 5 boards really found his seed legs in conference play is able to pop threes in the mid 30s clip you've also got a clean bill of health for Caleb Murphy who just was not able to get out there on the floor consistently last year Caleb Murphy only played 15 games. Missed the first half of the season. You tell that he was behind the eight ball. Now with him having a full offseason to be able to acclimate to this ball team, being able to get just out there on the floor with his teammates, I think is very big. Jalen Terry, I think, is an upside guy as well. And then Chico Carter Jr. throughout his career has been a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. I do think that Mac ATN is going to be able to find himself over at DePaul. And for Fort Wayne, just all the losses that they took in the offseason, I think is big. Got a DePaul team that plays relatively up-tempo. Just didn't have a lot of shooting last year. I think that Chico Carter addresses that. And for Fort Wayne, they have been a team that has perennially played a little bit more up-tempo and has not done a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc. So, did somebody tell 145.5. Looking at the over. And with DePaul, I'm willing to lay up to 13 points with them. 619-620 on the betting board. San Jose State is playing us to UC Irvine. Zot Zot, the Anteaters of UC Irvine are between a pickup duel at one point underdog. Shout out Ian McMillan. Total in between 132 and 133. Did have my total at 131. Now you did see UC Irvine play quite a bit more up-tempo last season, but with them losing their top two guys in DJ Turnitup Davis, Alant Dawson Baker combined 30 points and these two guys combined to shoot about 38% from three-point range. I do think that this team is going to be dialing it back. I think that they're going to be looking much more to being just relatively solid down low. Eli Chole last year just saw absolutely no playing time whatsoever. I think that he's someone that with his six foot eleven side along with Dean Keeler, they're going to be seeing a few more minutes to be able to back up Bent Lutken. Lutgen, the gentleman from Germany, just good versatility. Shot 36% from three, nine and a half points, five and a half boards as a seven foot one big man. And then you bring back Piero Cockrell. Piero Cockrell is not a guy that's going to go out there and is going to look to score a lot. He only averaged five points per game a season ago, but five assists at 2.1 turnovers per game gives you a steal per contest. Very widely on the defensive side of things, looking to be able to get the ball to other guys to be able to score. Now, there's going to be a less three point shooting on the scene than a season ago. You're probably going to be looking to Devin Tills, who began his career at UNLV, to be an explosive player for the team. At 6'6", six six, he stretched the floor, shot 40% from three, 7.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game, but I do think that UC Irvine going to be relying upon that size down low, going up against the San Jose State team that last year they were a top 8 team in terms of rebound rate, but they do lose quite a few of the guys that made them so successful. Abrima Diallo, their 7-footer, he is out of the fold. They do bring back Robert Vajola, who is six foot eight last season, six half boards, seven half points per contest. He was one of their true back to the basket guys. That should be able to help them out quite a bit. You also have Trey Anderson in the fold, someone who stands right in the neighborhood about six foot seven, began his career at South Carolina. Last year was able to chip in their six half points per contest after two seasons ago. Shot 45% from three with more around eight and a half points per game. But the big key here for San Jose State and the reason why I did set them as a three point favorite is that they've got a coach in Tim Miles that just knows what the heck he is doing. He's also got back in the fold someone in Myron Amory Jr., who's able to give you about 5.5 points per contest two seasons ago. Shot 37.5% from three, was limited to just like seven, eight games last season due to injury. Being able to get those pieces back, that is going to be big in replacing Omari Moore and Tibet Gronair, who is a six foot eight, little bit of a do it all sort of player that comes over from Turkey, began his career at Arizona. I expect him to be able to burst as well. Two seasons ago was a starter last year, was a little bit more of a sixth man. You've got to say, 
San Jose State team with quite a bit of experience. They did a nice job of being able to bring in some true freshmen, some guys from the non-D1 level that I think are going to be able to help out all that they bring back. And for UC Irvine, it is a little bit of a changing of the guard with all those great three-point shooters out. And I do think that UC Irvine, they're going to need to play a little bit more of a slow, grimy style. And I think that that's right in the wheel of, of San Jose State. So San Jose State is a three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a pick slash a one-point favorite. Made my total 131. So also diving under. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra game, 621. 622 on the betting board. You've got Sacramento State. They're on the road. They're facing off against Nevada. Nevada finds themselves as a double-figure favorite. 12 and a half to 13 points is what you're going to need to lay there. And total is between 136 to 136 and a half. And I did set my total at 133 and a half. Sacramento State, under this current regime, they are looking to play super stinking slow. And for Nevada, the reason why they were able to make the NCAA tournament is that Steve Alford did begin to embrace defense. You saw Steve Alford towards back half of his tenure at UCLA. Things were getting very up-tempo. Things got completely out of sorts. And I think he realized, all right, we need to get back to basics because basically our team has been stinking. But with Sacramento State, I do think that this style is going to be able to keep them live in this game. I like what Allison Patterson is able to bring to the table with Mr. Patterson last year. About 7.5 points per contest. Shot 35% from three-point range. David Patrick used to be the coach over at UC Irvine. So he's got those connections to some nice big men like in a Colm Wayne who last year at six boards, nearly 10 points per contest, a block per game. I do think that this team is going to be pretty solid down low. I expect some nice upside out of someone like a Duncan Powell as well who comes in after last year. He was out of the program. He should be able to give this team a few rebounds per contest. Quadri Adams, I remember he began his career at St. Bonaventure. Upside guy there. And then on the flip side for Nevada, you do lose quite a few of the pieces that made this team so successful from a season ago. They're not necessarily big-time scorers like Trey Pettigrew, who only averaged about three and a half points per contest. You had a do-it-all player in Darion Williams, who's not Texas Tech. Seven and a half points, seven boards, just was a really good defender in general. Now, who you do bring back is Jared Lucas. Lucas, he's able to play multiple different styles of defense. You go from man-to-man to zone. He is very effective in both of those. 17 points, 38% three-point shooter. Good on offense, good on defense. I absolutely love his game. And then I do expect a little bit more of a burst this year from T- Trey Coleman as well. Coleman has been a starter for this team for quite a while, but has just sort of been a guy, I think is the best way of putting it. Six and a half points, three boards, a steal per contest. Not that I think that it's giving you 15 plus points per contest, but I do think that he's going to be a little bit more assertive for this team. Tylen Pope at six and six should be able to give you some nice rebounding down low coming in from Tulane and Keenan Blackshear. Someone that at six and six shoots it well from three-point range as well, but I think that Sacramento State is going to do what they do best. Make this game bowling ball shoe ugly. Make this super duper slow. I think that Nevada gets a win, but it's going to be much like going to the dentist. It's going to be no fun whatsoever. It is going to be rough and tumble. So that is why I'm going to be willing to take the points with Sacramento State. Set this line at 11.5. I think Nevada's going to try to play a little bit more up-tempo than they did last season, but I think that Sacramento is just going to stick them in the mud. I do think that in the end, Nevada's athletes are going to be able to win out, but not cover this number. Take the points with Sacramento State, made by total 133.5. So also diving under. Now let's hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-511, 306-512. Indiana is playing us the Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast, a 12.5 point underdog. Totals between 143 and 144. I said Indiana is a 14.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this summer. I feel like some people are just 
a tad higher than I am on this Florida Gulf Coast team. Well, Florida Gulf Coast, no question about it. I do think that Patrick Chambers beginning to turn this program around. You do have some nice athletes out there. Last season, he was able to bring in a lot of guys via the transfer portal, like an Isaiah Thompson, who became the team's top scorer, 15 points, three assists per contest. I was at Purdue two seasons ago, shot over 40% from three last year, more in that neighborhood, about 37.5% from the outside. Shyless Largie has been a very big and integral part of this team, but last year only averaged three and a half points per contest after the last two seasons, he had averaged double figures. I really expect him to have much more of an impact on this team, and the fact that he didn't just go out and transfer does show you the sort of chemistry and rapport this team has. They also bring in Kishan Kelman, who was over at Princeton last year, was able to grab five rebounds per game. That's going to be big because he's now able to play in tandem with someone like Zach Anderson, who last year 11.5 points, 6.5 boards per contest, but you can tell that Florida Gulf Coast was a little bit inconsistent with the rebounding, but now they're going to have to go up against 7-footer Khalil Ware, who we remember he was a top 20 recruit coming into the year last season for that freshman class, never really developed. I think that Malik Renew is going to have that nice freshman to sophomore bump, 6 points, 3.5 boards per contest. He's not a guy that's really going to go out there and shoot a lot of threes, and you sort of have a similar skill set for Peyton Sparks as well, who out there in the he was very good over at Ball State. 13 and a half points, 8 and a half boards. You've got all sorts of size with this Indiana team. Now, the question mark that you've got for Indiana is the backcourt. They've got Xavier Johnson back at the full due. Had a season last year cut short. He only played in 11 games. He was doing a better job of taking care of the ball. Five assists per contest. It was the first time in his college basketball career in which he did not score double figures, averaging 9.9 points per contest. Part of that is because he was ruled out of one of the games after about nine or so minutes, or else he would have been a double-figure scorer, but I like his upside. You've got Mackenzie Mbakbo. He had a little bit of an off-season rest. I think that he might be suspended for this game, so something to keep in mind as well. But all in all, with Indiana... The backcourt, a little bit of a question mark, but I do think that Trey Galloway, someone who had 6'5", when he's able to get things cooking, he's able to shoot it really well from three. Shot 46% from three. He's going to be able to offer quite a bit of help in that backcourt. With Indiana, I think that they just absolutely eat down low. They do a good job of being able to dominate the class, and that'll allow them to be able to cover this game. So, did set Indiana as a 14.5 point favorite. Willing to lay the number. Did set my total at a 140.5. I do think that Indiana... Going to be playing a little bit more slowly. Going to be playing through their big men this year. So looking at the under, I'm going to lay it with the Hoosiers. 306-513, UMass plays those to Albany. Albany is anywhere between 8.5 to 10-point underdogs. So those between 145 and 146.5. With UMass, I did set them as an 11-point favorite. I like the hire of Frank Martin two years ago. I don't think he's necessarily done the world's greatest job with this UMass team thus far, but I do take a look at this Albany bunch, and it's a little bit of a band of misfit parts, I think is the best way of being able to put it, because last season, you had Gerald Drumgool, who was able to put in their 13 points per contest. He was really able to get things going, and I just still remember two seasons ago, things were really getting going, and then there was a little bit of a scandal that rocked this program. I know that their coach had some harassment things come up against him, so that really hurt recruiting. I felt like they did a little bit of a better job in the transfer portal this offseason. They bring in Rhode Island Sebastian Thomas, who Sebastian Thomas, I remember he was a relatively highly thought of recruit, was a part-time starter last year, about three assists, six points per contest, not a great scorer, but someone that's able to give out the ball. You're bringing back Jonathan Beagle as well, 
12 and a half points, seven and a half boards per contest. These are nice pieces to be able to build around. Along Tyler Bertram, who last time he was in the American East, was averaging double figures over at Binghamton. And for UMass, it is a bunch of, had a little bit of a turn style with some of the guys that they bring in. But I do think that Josh Cohen is going to be one of those guys that goes from the NEC and has instant production at the Atlantic 10 level. Last season at St. Francis of Pennsylvania, very nearly 22 points, 8.5 boards, 2.5 assists per contest. He knows what he is. He is not going to go out there and try to shoot threes. He's going to leave that to guys like a Rasul Douglas, who he was a former top 150 recruit over at UConn. He's going to leave that more to these good backcourt pieces. Someone like a Jackson Cronin might be able to see some minutes this year. They also bring in Mathak Majak. He is seven foot three, a little bit of a project. I don't think he's going to be seeing minutes over Cohen, over someone like a Matt Cross as well. But Cross as well, guy that last year averaged 12 points per contest. One of the few guys for UMass that wasn't completely injured throughout the year last year. Shot about 35% from three. UMass, they looked worse than what they were a season ago because darn near half their team got injured. I do think that with Frank Martin, when he had a full roster out there, he was able to do a good job of instilling some defense while at the same time having the team play a little bit more up-tempo. I think under Dwayne Killings, Albany going to be looking to reel it in a little bit more on defense. They were a bottom 50 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Albany, I do think that they're going to play through Beagle a little bit more down the line. I think that UMass wins the battle in the backcourt. Set UMass as an 11-point favorite. Won to lay up to 10.5 with them. Did something total at 143 as well. I do think that the UMass defense going to look a little bit more like they did towards the front half of the season last year. So looking at the under and one to lay with UMass. 306, 515, 306, 516. Georgetown plays us to Lemoyne. Lemoyne makes their Division I betting board debut as 18 and a half to 21 point underdog. Settles between 144 and a half and 145. For Lemoyne, this was a bunch that was right around 500 last year at the D2 level. Now they're making the leap up to the Division I level and I think it's going to be rough for them. This is a Georgetown team that's going to be a work in progress throughout the season, but I did set Georgetown as a 24-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Ed Cooley being in for our good friend Patrick Ewing, I do think that he just instantly elevates the sort of composure and the sort of wits that this team is going to have because you bring back some talented pieces from a season ago. Jay Heath, he was a double-figure scorer. We saw Jaden Epps score 46 points in an exhibition game. I don't know if we can quite expect that, but I do think that he's going to be in for a relatively solid season as well. There's a nice little bit of a mix-up. A few guys that returned from last year, like I do think that Wayne Bristol Jr. that was relegated to the bench, he is going to be able to burst. We saw him during the 2019-20 season while he was out in the MEAC register about 12.5 points per contest was a 40% three-point shooter. I think that Cooley is going to be able to lock him a little bit. Now, Ismail Masood might be out of the fold for a little bit of time. I have factored him out. Someone who's 6'9", comes in from Kansas State. Very good three-point shooter. But you got Supreme Cook, who is a 8-plus rebound per game guy over at Fairfield. And with LeMoyne, you just simply don't have a lot of size with this team. You bring in someone like uh, Kahim Cleary, who was actually at the D1 level for a little bit of time. He played in the MAC for Ball State about a year or two ago, so that's going to be able to give this team a little bit of upside. I think that Luke Sutherland, who began his career at Siena, he was able to do some nice things at the non-D1 level for LeMoyne last year. That's nice. And then you got Mike DePriesa along with Nathan McClure. They were a part of that IUPUI team that you may recall during the 2021-22 season. They were down to such few guys that they had to have open tryouts on campus, but and those are guys with a little bit of D1 experience, but I do think that it's going to be a little bit of an uphill grind for them, other than Jamil Melvin. 
They don't really have a guy that's north of six foot seven on the roster, and that's typically where these non-D1 teams do go wrong. Now, Mason Landek, he was pretty awesome at the Division II level last year. When I was at Eastern Washington a few seasons ago, was able to see meaningful minutes, was able to put in there about four-plus points per contest. He does a solid job of being able to run the show in general, but I think that Georgetown just has better athletes. I think that LeMoyne having to go up from the non-D1 level to the D1 level. We saw their one game last year against a Division I team. That was against Buffalo. They got pounded 89-55. to You gotta be wondering how much LeMoyne is going to be able to build themselves up. They got better transfers this year than they would have in past years, but I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a building process for our lone team going from the non-D1 level to the D1 level. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Georgetown. Set them at minus 124. I did make my total 146. I think that I coolly not going to be playing as up-tempo as Patrick Ewing. There should be a little bit more defense, but I do think that this is going to be a bit more of an up-and-down game. So, I'm going to the over and want to lay it with Georgetown. 306-517, Vanderbilt plays those to Presbyterian. The Blue Hosts are between 17 and a half to 19 point underdogs. Totals between 138 and 139. I have no idea how. I have no idea why, but it always does feel like Jerry Sackhouse does a little bit more with less than with Vanderbilt. We do see them time and time again. Struggle a little bit in on-conference play, but I'm going to be one to trust in them here. I did set them as 21.5 point favorites. I do like what Vanderbilt did in the offseason. They do lose some of their key pieces from a season ago, but Ezra Magnon, he was very good being able to dole out between 3.5 and, and 4 assists per contest last season. Has always been a very trustworthy 3 point and then Ben Allen Lubin, who comes in from Notre Dame, where he was logging about seven to eight points per contest. He's someone I think is going to be able to fit this system really well. I think that guys like Lee Dort, Colin Smith, a part of that freshman class from last year, they're going to have good year one to year two bumps. And for Presbyterian, just have to be wondering where they are going to be getting for one scoring from because they do lose Winston Hill. He was injured throughout much of the year last year, but he was one of their top scorers last few seasons. And on top of that, they are without Jalen Forrest as well, who was able to log about 11.5 points per contest a season ago as well. So that really hurts this team. You're looking at Crosby James to be a little bit of a do-it-all guy. 9.5 points, shot about 31% from three-point range, but was another one of those guys that was incredibly inconsistent a season ago. You have someone in Jamari Harvey. I do think that he's got a little bit of upside. Last season, was playing over at UNC Wilmington. Was an afterthought. If you go back to his freshman year at UNC Wilmington, logged more around 7.5 points per contest. As a career 35% three-point shooter. That is someone that is going to be able to elevate this program a little bit, but you still have the question mark of who's going to have the ball in his hands. I've been hearing some nice things about Trevon Reddish. Roan, who's been a little bit of a glue guy the last few seasons. Kobe Stewart at 6'6". He's able to handle the ball a little bit, but that's a big question mark for this Presbyterian team, and you just really don't have a lot of size in general. Among guys that saw action last year, you don't have a single guy that is north of 6'7". Vanderbilt should be able to win that battle on glass with having the 6'10", Dort, in my opinion, taking some strides forward. On top of that, you bring Tagasos Cabateros, who was over at South Dakota last year, shot over 40% from three, double-figure score. I think that Vanderbilt should be able to overwhelm a Presbyterian team that, let's call it what it is, over the last few seasons, they've been one of the worst teams in all of college basketball ever since. We did see their old coach and Dustin Kearns head on over to Appalachian State. So I did set Vanderbilt as a 21.5 point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number. Maybe my total 139.5. Vanderbilt, relatively a mid-tempo team. They had their issues on defense, but you did see them flourish on offense with Magnon being able to do a good job of running the show. So looking at the over and one to lay the number with Vanderbilt. 306-519, 306-520. 
Michigan is playing us to UNC Asheville. Asheville is between 11.5 to 13 point underdogs, and your total is 142. I did set Michigan as a 13.5 point favorite. Michigan is without Jawan Howard right now. He's been going through some health issues, so you wish him absolutely nothing but the best. And right now, that means that Phil Martelli is taking over the show. But, I mean, Phil Martelli is no slouch as a coach. You may recall when he was over at St. Joe's, he led them to that undefeated season 20 years ago where they had, like, Jameer Nelson and company on that team. Now, you've got a lot of losses. I mean, this team did not make the NCAA tournament last year with three first-round picks and Hunter Dickinson. That was a pretty abysmal failure. But having Damari Burnett out there, I think is going to be very helpful. On top of that, I do expect a nice little year number one to year number two bump for Doug McDaniel as well. You tell that Doug McDaniel did a better job of running the show than when Jalen Llewellyn was out there. Three and a half assists, only about 1.6 turnovers per game, shot 35.5% from three. Not an assertive scorer, but just a guy that did a good job of making things flow. You've got Trey Jackson, someone who had 6'10", I think is going to be able to do a good job of hitting the glass. And Olivier Kamwa, at 6'9", he's able to pop threes. He was one of the better defensive players in all of college basketball last season. Now, I don't expect a lot of somebody like a Will Cheddar, but Terrence Williams II is another guy that I expect some nice leaps forward from, even with Jace Howard out of the fold. I do feel bullish about this Michigan team, and for UNC Asheville, this team does have a little bit of a kryptonite of giving up the three-point arc. Now, they themselves bury 39% from threes, but you've got an Asheville team as well. They turn the ball over 14 times per game. Now, on the flip side for Michigan, this is a bunch that was outside the top 300 in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. That is going to be able to help out an Asheville team that they return a lot of key pieces from last year. Caleb Burgess, four assists, five points per contest. Did a good job of getting the ball in the hands of one of the best, I'm not even going to call it mid-major players, players in all of college basketball, Drew Pember. 21 points, nine boards, two and a half assists, shot 37.5% from three at six foot 11 with multiple blocks per game. And then you bring in their Greg Gann Jr. Gann Jr., about four and a half rebounds per game while he was over at NC State last year. This team is going to be very formidable on the glass, but you do have your question marks as to how they're going to be taking care of the ball. Someone like a Josh Banks, I think, has some upside coming in from VCU. He should be able to give this team a little bit more stability in that backcourt. And don't call him A.B., Fletcher A.B., eight points. He was able to shoot 41% from three-bar range a season ago. But I do think that Michigan going to be more solid on the defensive side of things. Phil Martelli, a little bit more of a defense-oriented coach rather than Jawan Howard. And I think that the team is going to embrace that. I did set my total at 145.5. You've got a UNC Asheville team that I think that they're going to bury some threes. But at the same time, they're going to give up some turnovers that allow Michigan to get some wide-open buckets. Asheville has their deficiencies on defense themselves. So looking at the over and... I'm going to lay up to 13 and not a half a point more with Michigan. And we wrap things up with 306-521, 306-522. If you got Creighton playing also Florida A&M. A&M is between 30 and 31 and a half point underdog. Settles between 134 and a half and 136. Want to lay up to 31 and a half and not a half a point more with Creighton. I made them 32 point favorites with Creighton. I do think the people putting them in the top five might be going a little bit far, but and this is a Florida A&M team that I think that they are going to get completely decimated. Florida A&M last year in terms of points scored on a per possession basis was in the bottom five in all of college basketball. And after a place, a lone guy that was able to give you a double figure amount of points per game and Jared Tillman. So you got a lot of pieces that are just in flux. Now they do bring back Dominguez Stevens, who actually began his career over at Seton Hall. He only played 20 games last season due to injury. In that point, shot 42.5% from three par inch, but was all over the place. I mean, the last five games of season last year encapsulates it very well. Scored 0, 6, 17, 3, 16 points. You just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out. 
out of him. They lose their top rebounder in Jalen Bates, and they just really don't have a pipeline for bringing in talent. Jace Bars is someone that should be able to give you about five rebounds per game at six foot eight. He's an okay guy down low. They bring in Love Bettis, who was at North Carolina AT, but it's not like he did a ton over at North Carolina AT, right around four and a half points per contest, didn't shoot 40% from three point range, but I question how much he's going to be able to take a stride forward with needing to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. They bring in a lot of unheralded junior college transfers. Meanwhile, with Creighton, yes, they do lose Arthur Kaluma from last year. Yes, they also do lose their main ball handler in Ryan Nemar, but Steve Ashworth coming over from Utah State where he shot over 40% for three-point range. did a nice job running one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball is big. And the Baylor Shireman, his versatility. North of 12 points, 8.5 boards, 3.5 assists, 36.5% three-point shooter. Creighton is not a team that last year was necessarily in like the top 10 in terms of any one category, but they were a bunch that they were solid pretty much all around it. I feel like their rotation should be bigger this year as well. My biggest sock on Creighton last year was that they were only about a 5 or 6 deep team. I think that they're going to look to frame Farabella, who's been around college basketball for seemingly 500 years. Frederick King, when Ryan Kalkbrenner was out of the fold, he was able to fill in very well. And oh, by the way, you've got a guy in 7'1", Kalkbrenner, is able to give you multiple blocks per contest. He's able to pop threes. He's able to give you 10 plus rebounds per game. I love his game. You've got Mason Miller, I think, should see some minutes. Jonathan Lawson is a very good glue guy that comes in from Memphis. Isaac Tretout, who comes in from Virginia. He should see some meaningful minutes as well. I think that Creighton is going to be going a little bit deeper, and that is a big difference maker for them on the national landscape. Want to lay up to 31 and a half with Creighton. I did set my total at 142. Creighton is a very efficient offense. I think under Steve Ashworth, they're going to be playing a little bit more up-tempo and Florida A&M, they were a average to below average defense and I think against this Creighton team, they're going to have all sorts of issues. So, looking at the over and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Creighton up to 31 and a half and that will wrap things up. For the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, a big thanks to Jim Root of the Three Man Weave for joining me in the last segment. If you do like sharing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have before this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters ZM, maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. Give you guys picks and analysis on every D1 versus D1 game. And I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.